so great to be back here. Something's different in Durban. Can I tell you that? This is my fourth visit here, but something is different in Durban. Say, say that with me. Something is different in Durban. Isn't that good? You know, Jesus came to show people things were different, you know. He turned old sayings on their head. He said, you heard it said, there's three more months and then the harvest. But I tell you, now. You know, some people say, well, something's going to happen in Durban. But I want to tell you, something is different in Durban. It's already happened. It's already happened. And if it hasn't happened for you, it's happening. So hit the person next to you and say, it's happening. So, and one of the things that's different in Durban for me is my wife's with me. So, yes. The question has been answered. Did Bob marry up? Absolutely, Bob married up. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. He who prophesies a wife. If you can't find one, at least prophesy one to yourself, right? So I did that when I was a young boy in church when the teacher asked everyone, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I said, I'm going to marry a blonde-haired, blue-eyed pastor's daughter. That's what I did. I said that at 11 years old. I have no idea why I said it. I didn't know I was prophetic, but I prophesied myself a good thing, you know. She walked up to me in the student center of the college that I went to with a ping-pong paddle in her hand one night and said, you want to play ping-pong? I looked at her blonde hair and her blue eyes and her fuchsia leg warmers. Remember fuchsia? Remember leg warmers? (laughs) I said, are you a pastor's daughter? She looked at me funny and said, yeah, why? I said, no reason. Yes. (laughs) So not only is she my wife and a pastor's daughter, but she's an amazing worshiper and a daughter of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And I just asked her if she would open us up and just open the heavens over us and let's enter in for what God wants to do this weekend and what's already happening and what's already different in Durban. Amen. So let's just let's just enter in for a moment.
God of justice right now, God. God, I thank you that you are breaking the chains of the past and justice against us, but you are releasing life to the full tonight, God. And I thank you tonight that all the promises of God are yes, to which we say, we say that all the promises of God that we're stepping into in this new season are yes, to which we say, we say that everything that you have prepared for us, all the works that you prepared in advance for us to do are yes, to which we say, God, we say there's nothing that has been assigned to us that you've called us to do that we can't do without you because you've already said yes to it, to which we say, and God, we thank you that as we say amen to the yeses of the new season, there are also things in the past season that they're not, they're, they're, they're no's for now. And so we say goodbye to what you say no to. We say goodbye to injustice. We say goodbye to to mistreatment. We say goodbye to unforgiveness. We say goodbye to feeling like a victim. We say goodbye to dishonor. We say goodbye to that because that's not part of this season. And so God, we thank you that there are some things that are no for this season that were yes before. And we say goodbye to those things you say no to so we can say amen to the things that you say yes to. So God, we thank you today that there's a huge yes in your heart. And in our heart, we say a huge Amen, God. So we say amen to freedom. We say amen to goodness. We say amen to greatness. We say amen to the miraculous. We say amen to prosperity. We say amen to blessing. We say amen to favor. And God, we say something is different in Durban. And everyone says amen. Amen. Give three people a high five and say amen. All right. Thanks, honey. You know, sometimes we we get stuck in the middle of transition because it's hard to let go of things. And there's a process of mourning when you move from season to season. But sometimes we're mourning stuff that was already dead. And you just have to say goodbye to it. I believe God's given us a big yes. You know, what's, what's cool about that scripture is that and I know the context of it, Paul's talking about that he's actually talking about a relationship he's having with the church. And he's saying, hey, I wanted to come and visit you, but I ended up having to go somewhere else. So I said yes. I'm not saying no. I don't want you to think I'm wishy-washy because God's not yes and no. He's yes, to which we say amen. But the interesting thing about it is he, he drops this huge theological understanding about who God is in the midst of just a relational conversation, right? I mean, he's just talking to him about a visit. He said, sorry I couldn't come, but I'm still, I am still have a yes in my heart. And there's sometimes there's things that don't happen. It's not because God doesn't want them. There's still a yes to him. And I feel like what happens is when you separate a principle about God from relationship, you make it unreproducible in your life. So Paul takes this relational context of just a visit, and then he drops this huge theological bomb. And by the way, God's not a no God. He's a yes God. He's, he's, all his promises are yes, to which he's just waiting for you to say the amen. So there's some things that you guys thought God's been saying no to, but he's been saying yes to it. But he hasn't, it hasn't happened. Why? Because he's waiting for you to say the amen. He's already said yes to healing. He's just looking for someone to say amen to laying hands on the sick. 
He's already said yes to, to favor. He's just waiting for someone to believe they have favor. He's already said yes to blessing. He's just waiting for someone to say the amen by give it sowing in the offering or whatever it is. He's waiting for you to say the amen. My question is, what's the amen that you need to say to God's yes in this season? And when you discover that, and see, part of maturity is it's actually easier to discover the no's. Like, what do you say to a kid, you know, when they're learning stuff? No, don't touch that. No, don't touch that. No, don't touch that. That's why a kid's first words a lot of times are no. Well, in my case, my kid's first words were daddy. My mom says it. My, my, my wife says it was mom, but I say it's daddy. But, but so kids learn to say no quite a bit. Why? Because when you're immature, you need to understand the no's. But I think maturity actually goes after the yeses of God. Which is why sometimes it's hard to move into a new season because we're not just saying no to stuff. We're actually trying to discover what's the yes of God. And it says all the promises of God are yes. Which means there are a lot of things that are yes in your life. God's just looking for you to find the thing that you need that says amen in your heart to it. And that's, that's part of maturity. That's why when you're in transition, sometimes you have a lot of yeses before you. There's a lot of things you can do. And in fact, there's a permission of God in your heart. He's just looking for the thing that makes you go, amen. And when I come to Durban, I just hear amen in my spirit. You know? so, like, I, I don't even know what that means. It's not on the itinerant circuit. Because let me just tell you, like, I'm not an itinerant. I'm a builder. Like, I, I don't just go around to places. I, I, I have relationships with people like you guys. That's what I love about uh, these guys because they, they love the church. Okay, so they're called to the body of Christ. But they, they love the local church. And you know, God's going to build What's he going to do? He's going to make himself known through the church, the principalities and the powers. So I know that's the called out ones in a region. And so we get to go. One of the greatest privileges I get, George, and thank you for having me back again, is, is to just go to regions and watch what's different in that region. And you know what? And Julian, I'm sure you can relate to this. When you go to regions and nothing changes, you kind of feel like, well, I don't need to go there because nothing changes. But when something is different, you go back, it means that people have said amen to God says yes to, right? Steward, you steward well what God's given you. And I, I know that you've had input from so many different places, and it's just an honor for us to be part of that. And thanks for having us again, George. Thank you for Harvest and, and, and Ryan and Rock Church and uh, Greg. I forgot the name of your church. Emmanuel. Oh, God, that's so good. Good of faces, not names. And, and so many other pastors and, and leaders that we've met along the way. Just, just so honored to be uh, with you guys. So I have a really cool word that God gave me for you uh, tonight. I'm ready f- to share it for you. I'm excited about it. Let me just tell you about some of the resources we have. We may not have had last time we were here. Uh, you know, Durban's the only place I've ever been in South Africa. Every time I come, I've always flown into Durban, flown back home. <laughs> it's like, I didn't even know there was any part, other part of the country. And people are like, you ever, go, I mean, you ever go to Cape Town? I'm like, no, it's Cape Town. I don't know. It's just, it's your, I always just wanted to get home to my wife. So I brought my wife so I could actually come to more places. And so I actually, um, I, was, I was just at a conference. We flew into uh, Johannesburg. And then we were at a conference with a, a friend of ours. His name is Bishop Joseph Garlington. You may have, may have remembered him from the, uh, the Promise Keeper days. Uh, Promise Keepers make it this way out here. So we, we did a conference with him out just a little bit ways from uh, Johannesburg, and that's just a great time. Uh, we had a great time with him, and then we are going to get a chance to visit Cape Town. And uh, George won't let me come out here without going to a game park, so he's twisting my arm, okay? It's, just, it's tough, but we'll take a game drive. And so just, just love, love. And finally, I made it here in the summer, which is cool, because usually I come, it's, it's a little cooler. But um, 
So I have these uh, resources. They, took, they, they actually bought a lot of the resources in the last place, but we do have some stuff. I, I kind of threatened them. I said, come on, you guys have to have a good reputation. I'm going to go to Durban, and you, if you guys buy all this stuff, I'll get to say, those people are hungrier out there in Johannesburg than in Durban. So. But they do, have, they do have some stuff left back there. Some of our prophetic teaching and prophetic schools are gone, um, but you have great prophetic teaching here, even in this house, so you'll take care of that. Um, but one of the things I have back there is, um, you know, when Jesus, who is the word of God, he said, out of the abundance of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. So there's something that precludes prophecy, and that's perspective. So, uh, so the perspective of your heart will determine how you speak. So perspective precedes proclamation. What, what you see precedes what you say. And a lot of times, prophetically, we, we say the right things, but we say it from the wrong perspective. This is why we can have even an old covenant view of some things, and we, we hear old covenant type of perspective in the prophetic. Well, Jesus, I, actually, I, he addressed that issue, and he said, out of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. If that's true, Jesus is the word of God, and everything that was created was created by him. And he spoke the words, let there be light. So let there be light, and that contained the, all the creative power of God in words. He chose words in which to, to, to uh, create everything we see and we don't see. So my question would be, well, what was in God's heart when he said, let there be light? If we, knew, if we could understand what was in his, on his mind, we could understand the motivation for the prophetic, the motivation that, that releases creative prophecy, releases creative proclamation, right? Well, Ephesians 1 tells us what was on his mind and on his heart. You were on his mind and on his heart. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. So before he said, let there be light, he was thinking about you. He had you in mind when he created Durban and when he decided this time frame, this epoch, this moment was going to take place. He decided the exact time and place where you would be born. He had that much of a view of who you were. You were that important to him that he thought this moment in time is going to be created for you. This geographic atmosphere, this spiritual climate is created. You are put in exactly the right place to bring heaven to earth. You're in exactly the right job, exactly the right family, the exactly the right preparation process. And God's going to bring you to a place where everything that he's put inside of you to speak, let there be light, will, will create what he wants in the earth. And so in order to have that understanding, we have to have his perspective. And so uh, I actually read the scripture in Isaiah 55. It says, as high as the heavens are from the earth are my thoughts from your thoughts and my ways from your ways. Which means that God has a different way of thinking and it's a better way of thinking. And so I actually, I I felt like the Lord told me just to study about thinking. So for a year I read about 32 books on thinking and on the brain. I read half Christian, half secular books. And I noticed a little bit of a pattern. And what, what, that, what the pattern was, was a lot of times we as believers, when we think about thoughts, we actually talk about, and what the writings I found were how to control negative thinking, how to control bad thoughts, how to, to harness or cast away vain imaginations. But that's only half of the scripture. The scripture says cast away vain imaginations and take captive every thought into the obedience of Christ. That word take captive means to capture it. The secular books, most of them I saw a pattern was that they had to do with how to capture positive thinking, the power of positive thinking, thinking grow rich, those kind of books. I know some of that is a way that seems right to a man, and it might be a worldly point of view, but actually I believe that there's something biblical in there is that when we capture a thought that God has for us, we make it obedient to Christ, and we actually can release God's creative power through it. 
We see it all throughout Scripture. We see people that have had one idea from God that have changed the world. Jesus, in the midst of, a, of an unbelieving environment, he looked at a man with a, bro- with a broken roof where people were worried about a broken roof, and he saw faith. He saw a man who was dropped to the ground, who was paralyzed, and he saw a son. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. He heard the thoughts of a, of a pharisaical religious spirit that said he's blaspheming. He said, you think I'm blaspheming? Watch this. Get up and walk. And everybody left the place rejoicing and praising God. The people worried about the roof, the people defended by the paralyzed man, and the religious people offended with Jesus all praised God. Why? Because one man thought differently. What if it only takes one person to think differently to change your city, to change your, the atmosphere of your nation? What if it just needs one person to think differently and act differently? And so that's really re- the reason why I wrote this book. And um, there's a practical side of it too. And that is that every single day we have thoughts from God. One of the studies in this I, I came across is that there's one scientific study done by Cornell University that 50% of the hours that you're awake, you daydream. I don't know how they figured it out. They tested a bunch of people. I guess they figured out. Most of them are probably guys. <laughs> 50% of the time you're awake, you are checked out, which 50% of the time I'm talking up here, you guys are somewhere else. And some of you, it's more like 75%. I won't try not to look over to this side, right? Which is okay because probably 50% of the time I'm talking to you, I'm checked out somewhere else. That's all right. We'll just call that a prophetic moment, all right? (laughs) Well, there's actually, in that study, when you're daydreaming, parts of your brain are communicating that are never communicating at any other time. Which means there's a thought process going on when you're in that moment. I believe it's a God dream, not a daydream. And, and actually, there's a, there's a man who invented something. He was daydreaming in church while the pastor was preaching. He invented a small idea. It's called post-it notes. Did you ever hear of them? A multi-billion dollar idea. Invented during a sermon while someone was daydreaming. If you happen to get a multi-billion dollar idea tonight, Harvest Church, Bob Hazlett Ministries. All right. So... Um, anybody that, that you do counseling and freedom ministry, you help to get people set free in their mind and in their emotions. Can I give this to you, bro? All right, it's called Think Like Heaven, Change Your Thinking, Change Your World. Bless you with that. Amen. Awesome. Yep. You know, one of the ways to change your atmosphere is to create a new atmosphere inside, and so we have some resources uh, for that. My wife has a worship CD back there called Take Me In. It's a soaking CD. It's, it's of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And uh, so she took songs that she wrote from David's Psalms, the happy ones. And she did these prophetic songs right from the studio. And she wanted to take some hymns of the church. Anybody remember what hymns are? Yeah. I grew up in a church with hymns and hers, but hymns. <laughs> and uh, I, I, did, I requested one of these hymns, and it's um, my favorite hymn. I come to the garden, in the garden. Anybody remember that hymn of the church? I think it was written before its time. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. He walks with me. You remember that, Roseanne? He talks with me. He tells me I am his own. It's a song of intimacy written, you know, a long time ago. Uh, so I believe that God's breathing on new hymns. I think there's new psalmists that are, that are rising up. Anybody like, like to sing the hymns? Love to, okay, there's a yeah, gentleman in the back there. He's jumping up. He's like, that's mine. That's mine. Yeah. Woo-hoo. I like that. Good. He's going for it. Awesome. Yeah, God bless you, sir. Sure. This, and this last one I want to tell you about, God... Prophetic and healing gifts run together very strongly. And the reason is the Bible says God sends his word and he heals us. And so we took, uh, we took all the healing miracles of Jesus, my wife and I together in the studio, and we put them to spontaneous songs and prayers for healing. It's prophetic healing music based on the scriptures and declarations for healing. 
And so it's called Healing Experience. And we get testimonies all the time. We've gotten hundreds of testimonies of people being healed listening to the CD. Because God sends his word and he heals us. Amen? The cool, one of the coolest testimonies we have is a lady from Chicago who had an autistic child, six years old. Uh, she, her daughter wasn't potty trained, couldn't dress herself, couldn't write her own name. She play, played this in her room for three months and, of course, prayed over her child every day. She wrote an email to us after three months and said, that CD is really anointed. My daughter can dress herself and she's potty trained. She can write her name. It's a miracle, right? So cool. So my wife stayed in contact with her. She's a, a friend of ours. is her family member. And after a year, she wrote back to us and asked us for more of these CDs for this reason. She said, I took my daughter back to school this year. And the teacher and the supervisor met me at the door and said, we need to talk to you. Something's different about your daughter. We don't know what you've done, but she doesn't need to be in a special needs class anymore. Is that cool? Yeah. And they said, tell us what you're doing. And so she got a chance to tell her about her faith, that she prays over her daughter every day. And they play scripture music in her room 24-7. And the second half of this is instrumental. So the teacher and the supervisor said, can we get more copies of those for our other classrooms? So there's God sends his word and he heals us. Isn't that amazing? Does anyone know someone that has a special need? Okay, there's someone in the back in the middle. You're quick. You're quick to get up. So you really need this. Plus, you're just fast. That was amazing. You were that fast. So it's like you knew what I was going to say. All right. Um, If you have your Bibles, God bless you. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. I have a really cool word for you today. It's um, a very spontaneous word, so it's a little kind of scary for me, but it should be scarier for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know you guys don't play, don't you know you don't have an appreciation for American football. I understand that because rugby is a better sport. If you tell if you tell an American I said that, I will deny it. But I, I've been to a Sharks game, and let me just say, it's awesome. Okay. Like, I don't understand the rules, but neither do you, so that's okay. I, I know that. <laughs> and if you tell me you understand the rules, I'm like, no, you're not. You're not that smart, all right? <laughs> it doesn't matter, because anything called a scrum has to be awesome, right? It's like, I don't care if it's food or if it's rugby, scrum sounds like a man's thing, right? <laughs> and so, where you going? I'm going out with the boys for a scrum. That doesn't sound like you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, that's the point of it. We want to get in trouble. So, so what I love about American football, though, if you will, give me a moment. When a quarterback gets up to the line, he, he looks at the defense. Uh, he can change the player right at the line. He's a pretty smart guy. Quarterbacks are smart guys. And, and they're strong and they're fast. And I love the sport because it's got all those different strategies. But something called an audible, where he just has to get up to the line and just kind of make up the play on, on, on site. And that's kind of how the prophetic is. God just... You're just up there in the line, and you're kind of checking out the defense and saying, where are we going to go? Let's just throw it up. Hope somebody catches it. It's called a Hail Mary. <laughs> so I'm going to throw a Hail Mary tonight, all right? Everybody cross yourself. Get ready. <laughs> and uh, go, to, go to first, uh, I want to go to the book of Sean 4, 44. John 4, 44. This morning I did a kind of Hail Mary today. It worked out okay, so I thought tonight. I said, Lord, what do you want to talk about? And the Lord said, I want to destroy a mindset over people that they have no honor in their hometown. The Lord said, no more Galilees. 
And so I said, well, I really just need a confirmation of that. And I remember my wife said, we were, waiting, we were out with George. She was picking up a few things at the store. My wife said, I don't know why, but I've seen 444 on two license plates today, separate times. And when my wife talks, I listen. So if the Lord speaks to me, I take it seriously. If the Lord speaks to my wife, to me, I take it even more seriously than the Lord speaking directly to me, okay? I'm just saying, like, the voice of the Lord sounds like the voice of my wife quite a bit. <laughs> and all the women said? Amen. And that's what, when, when God says yes, you got to say amen. That's it. All right, I'm about to get in somebody's business. Sorry about that. Okay, so John 4, say 444. This is important because we're going to get to this. And what's cool about prophetic language, to be honest with you, anybody like numbers, like they're into numbers, you see numbers on the clock and stuff like that, you wouldn't be surprised if some of you start seeing 444, and I kind of explain it to you. It's a sign. It points to something. You need to ask the Lord, and I'm going to kind of unwrap it a little bit. Hopefully, make some sense out of it, okay? All right. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Well, I guess we just threw that one out, didn't we? Where was Jesus from? Galilee. What was the saying? Nothing good comes from Galilee. The prophet's without honor except for in his hometown. And guess what happened? Jesus returned. Everybody say, it's actually the word arrived there is returned. So everybody say returned to Galilee and the Galileans welcomed him. Say welcomed him. I love another translation. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee and the Galileans celebrated him. Here's what I want to say to you, that there's places you were in your last season where you weren't celebrated, that God's bringing you back to, that you're going to be celebrated. Something has changed. Something is different in Durban. Something is different in Durban. Let's track with this a little bit. So Jesus, he's born in Galilee. By the way, Galilee was a good place, as they say, to be from, which means you go and you don't come back. If you're born there... You're from Galilee, but you stay from Galilee. It just wasn't a place of people. It wasn't easy to get to. It was up way in the north, out of the way. It was way far away from the temple. Uh, it was part of the. It was the last part of the inheritance of God's people to be claimed. So they went into the land. They crossed the Jordan, which is in the south, into Judea, and the, and they fought for that land. And the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun were the ones who eventually possessed Galilee. But they had to fight through the wilderness. They had to fight around Jericho. They had to fight for the Judeans to get their land. Then they had to fight for the Samarian uh, land, because there's three provinces in Israel, 12 tribes. So these two tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, who possessed Galilee eventually, they had fought with everyone else first in order for them to get their inheritance. And some of you have, in last seasons, you've come alongside of so many different people to fight alongside of them to get their breakthrough, that you're at the point of your breakthrough, and you're, you're like, how am I going to have any energy to get my breakthrough? Well, get those who refreshed others are themselves refreshed. You've already sowed the seeds for your breakthrough in your last season. And so they enter into Galilee, and they get there, and there's an interesting scripture in Judges chapter 1. It says that the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali did not dispossess the Canaanites, but they used them as, uh, they coexisted with them for labor, which means that Galilee was a, a part of the nation that they didn't possess their full inheritance. They got a little weary in well-doing. And so they said, you know, I'm, I'm just tired of fighting. We're just going to live. We're just going to exist. Can I tell you, there's no existing in the kingdom. There's always advancing. There's no existing in the kingdom. You're either advancing or you're being disposed. You're possessing or you're being dispossessed. One or the other. 
because there's no power vacuum. You don't just exist. But when you move into a new season, do you notice that you feel opposition? Say opposition. And so opposition can come in two ways. So when, if I'm called to stand here in this area and, and, I, and I'm going to move there, from here to there, I, something has to move for me to get here. I have to dispossess something in order to possess something. And that's where I feel the opposition. And so sometimes what we call spiritual warfare is actually just spiritual advancing. You say, well, it's semantics. No, it's actually perspective. Your perspective determines your proclamation. Remember what I told you? So if you say, oh, I'm in a warfare, I'm in a warfare, I'm in a warfare, what's that? Your perspective is that you're, you're under opposition, that you're on the defense. Well, I'm fighting, I'm winning, I'm advancing, I'm advancing. What's that? My perspective is, is that I'm dispossessing something, that I'm winning. So your perspective determines your proclamation. And what you're saying right now out of your mouth determines what you really believe about where you're going and where you are and who you are and whose you are. So at this point, the, the Galileans get in there and they say, well, we're just going to peacefully coexist. And, and so yeah, Galilee goes into this whole track of things. In fact, it gets um, really bad around the time of Solomon that Solomon sees no value in the land of Galilee. So he makes an alliance with a guy, a king of Tyre. And the king of Tyre was a friend of David. And he was somewhat a friend of Solomon, but he was just this guy that was making an, an alliance for his own good, for his own nation. And it's okay to have alliances, but alliances that are, are beneficial for building the kingdom might not be beneficial as alignments. And sometimes when God takes you into a new season, things that were places that were alliances in the past shouldn't be alignments in the future. You know what I mean? Because you've got to know who you're supposed to build with and who you built with in the past. And so the king of Tyre is rewarded by Solomon because he doesn't see value in Galilee. And he gives him almost the entire land of Galilee. Solomon gives away the inheritance that God had assigned to God's people. Here's the point is when you don't forcefully advance in the kingdom of God, if you're not dispossessed, if you're not possessing, you're being dispossessed. So when you don't step into your, the fullness of your inheritance, the enemy will push back and try to take it back from you. And you'll feel like, well, maybe I'm just not called to be there. And sometimes the reason you're, you feel like you're not called to be there is because you've accepted the grace of the last season and haven't picked up the new grace of the new season. And so sometimes what happens is we feel opposition because we're advancing. But also sometimes what we call warfare is because we're operating under an old grace. So... God has a new empowerment for a new season to take new territory. And when you try to take new territory with old empowerment, it feels like warfare, but it's not. It's really immaturity or an invitation to grow. See how I just changed my words? Because immaturity sounds really like I'm really hurting you. No, it's actually an invitation to grow, which means when I step into a new season, I could feel first opposition, which is good. I'm flipping my opposition. It's not warfare. I'm advancing in the kingdom of God. Say, I'm advancing. So I'm not under attack. I'm advancing. Say, I'm not under attack. I'm advancing. See, it's a different perspective and a different proclamation. So now I move into this new season and I need a new mantle. I need a new empowerment. I need new weapons. Like he, he just prophesied that. God's giving us new weapons. The old weapons are not going to work for us. You put on the armor of Saul, you're going to get that sword and you're going to stick it in there. It's going to stick in the ground. You're going to try to move and you're just going to go around in circles, around in circles, around in circles. Because you need new empowerment for a new season. 
and it's available. There's, there's, there's new advancing. So what feels like spiritual attack is really spiritual advancing. And what feels like spiritual warfare is really an invitation for you to pick up new weapons. There's new weapons for you in this new season. Say, I'm advancing and I have new weapons. See, when that happens, now we're empowered to take our Galilee. We're empowered to take it. So the Galileans didn't possess it. So Solomon gives these towns to king of Tyre. Hiram, king of Tyre. In 1 Kings 9, it says that Hiram, the king of Tyre. By the way, side note, king of Tyre was actually, a, Jezebel was a descendant of the king of Tyre. She was a daughter of one of the, the kings of Tyre. Not this one, but generations after. Which means something happens when we don't grab our destiny is that something arises that tries to dispossess us and then change our whole view of it, right? And so, so the king of Tyre looks over the land of Galilee and here's what he says. What are these towns you've given me? These lands are worthless. They're barren. And it says in 1 Kings 9, he called them the land of Kabul. Everybody say Kabul. It means worthless and barrenness. What, what, he was, what he was doing was he was making a prophetic proclamation over the inheritance that God's people didn't possess. And he was saying, it's going to be worthless. You're not going to have any fruit from your, from your inheritance. Well, that's what the enemy wants to say over us whenever we don't possess what we're supposed to possess in this next season. He says, you'll never do it. You'll never possess it. It's never going to happen. And we, God has still said yes to what looks like a no. But he's looking for someone to say the Amen. He's looking for someone to say, what happened is the devil said amen to the no. Well, God's already said yes, and he's looking for someone to say amen. So good news is God brings a prophetic voice in Isaiah 9. He says, unto you, Galilee, a child is born. Unto you, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be Wonderful, Counselor. And what he does is he flips the prophecy, the negative prophecy of 1 Kings 9. And he flips it where he says, for, for the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And you, Galilee of the nations, there will be no more gloom. For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. What does God do? Every time God wants to bring a transformation in a place, in a region, in a people, in a culture, he finds something that looks barren. So whenever there was no, the word of the Lord was rare, there weren't many visions in the Old Testament. What did he do? He found Hannah. A barren womb. What did he put inside of her? A prophet. And out of a barren womb came a prophetic voice. What did the prophet do? Anointed a king who could establish the land, a kingdom. Right? David. Samuel anoints David. Then there comes another time. We call it the intertestamental period, about a 430-year period. There There was no word of the Lord from Malachi God said, I'll, I'll release the spirit of Elijah. I'll turn the hearts of fathers to sons, sons to daughters. Let me make that gender inclusive. Fathers and mothers to sons and daughters, daughters and, son, daughter, daughters and sons to fathers and mothers. And everybody's all good. Everybody happy? All right. I, sometimes that stuff bothers me because I have two daughters. I'm just like, hey, they're sons too. Well, they're daughters, but they're sons. <laughs> they have inheritance too. You know? I always ask the Lord, God, why did you give me three sisters and two daughters and a female dog? It's like so much estrogen in my house, I can't stand it. <laughs> and the Lord said, because you're going to be released as a father in the church in the moment that God is empowering women. 
So I just wanted you to feel really secure in who you are because all those women are going to be better than you. <laughs> so, no, I didn't say that. But just like, you, you know, if you're an insecure man, you won't be able to empower women. But here's what I hear. Something's different in Durban. Everybody say something's different in Durban. There's one of the things that's going to be different in Durban is God's raising up his sons and daughters. See? Uh-huh. Yeah, I got a few amens. I got a few. Whatever. I got a few. Like, whatever. You know what that is? That's adolescence. That's what teenagers say. Whatever. And that's what adolescent te- leaders say. And they need to grow up a little bit. Whatever. Can I tell you something? God is saying yes. So he's looking for the amens. Because you know what? He's raising up a family. The families have fathers and mothers, sons and daughters. Okay, yeah, meddling. But that's good because I said it with a smile. Because actually I think your father had been a lot of people and probably in this nation and in a lot of nations. So God's doing something cool, right? And so where was I? In trouble. That's where I was. In trouble. I was in trouble. Get out of trouble, Bob. Get out of trouble. So thank you very much. So what did God do when there was no voice? He found a barren womb. Elizabeth, right? What did she put inside? A prophet, John the Baptist. Who did he anoint? A king, Jesus. So what is God doing today? I think what God has done is he's raised up a prophetic generation that, that's had a voice, sons and daughters. And he, what he's really doing is establishing a new I don't like the word apostolic a lot of times, but I'm going to use it in the right terminology in terms of you have many teachers, but not many fathers. There's, he's raising up maturity, fathers and mothers in the church. And it took a prophetic voice to identify the need for that, first of all. And it also took some, let me just say this, David became a father, but he wasn't fathered well in his life. Which means what you lacked doesn't keep you from becoming who you are. Right? David's father didn't recognize who he was. He left him out in the field for whatever reason. The Bible says because he was ruddy. I don't know what ruddy is. I just think of him as a redhead with freckles. I don't know why. I, it's a weird picture I have of David. I don't think that's ruddy, but it's like maybe he was just a redhead with freckles. And they're like, well, he's, you know, he's a little shiny. We don't bring him in here. And he gets, gets sunburned out there when he's with the sheep. And he gets freckly. I don't know why that is. It's just a weird picture. I've always had that picture when I, since I was a kid of David. He's got curly red hair and freckles. It's probably so wrong, but it makes me... You know, understand ruddy anyway so finally his father doesn't recognize him and doesn't know who he is but it doesn't matter the prophet recognizes him the prophet recognizes who he is then he he gets married has a father-in-law who tries to kill him right didn't like the way he played guitar or something like that and he really didn't have this whole spirit even samuel who was you know a, a prophet really never fathered him the way and samuel didn't do a real great job with his own kids so i'm 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 extrapolating a little bit, but I think Samuel probably really didn't, you know, mentor David in a fathering way. He probably showed him some things about himself and prophesied over him. But prophesying to someone is not fathering them. Yeah, he's not. I mean, we need prophets that are fathers that can prophesy and father. And we have them. Thank God for that. We have them. So, so David steps into this place of fathering. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't a perfect father. But here's the cool thing. When this next king up arises... So David becomes the prototype for Jesus, and then Jesus comes into his kingdom. What do they say? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's when they understood his messianic anointing on his life. And they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of his father, David. Read it. He's on the donkey coming into Jerusalem. They say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of his father, 
David. So David, who didn't have a father, a generation that wasn't a father, became the father of Jesus. Which tells me that what God is doing in the church is he's raising up a generation that, for the best that we had, people tried to father us. They tried to give us the language of fathering. They did, you know, they did the best they could. But guess what? We can become mature sons and daughters, honor our fathers and mothers, and, and step into inheritance and be, be fathers and mothers in the church. Amen? Am I talking to anyone here? Okay, so this is good news. This is good news because even what looks like is a kind of a, a cycle of dishonor, God turns it into honor. And now Galilee, Jesus is born, this king, this barren, this, this, a barren womb, John the Baptist comes out of it, and he, pro- he, he prophesies, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and Jesus is born into the womb of a virgin girl in Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus does his first miracle in Cana of Galilee. Jesus chooses 12 disciples. 11 of them are from Galilee. One isn't, Judas. The only one not from Galilee. Didn't work out too well. Maybe what people say, nothing good comes from a place. Jesus said, good, that's the people I'm going to choose. The ones that say nothing good comes from there, good, I'm going to take them. I'm going to use them. Maybe those people have been mistreated. Good, I'm going to use them. Maybe those people didn't get their inheritance. They weren't fathered. Good, I'm going to make them fathers. They're poor. Good, I'm going to make them rich. I, they, don't have, they, can't, they can't talk. They, I'm gonna, good, I'm going to open their mouth and fill it. I'm going to have them prophesy. That person, uh, that person he, he failed speech class in high school. I don't know who I'm talking about, but it could be me. Well, I didn't fail speech class. I, I had to take speech class. It was part of our English curriculum. And, and uh, I did a, had to do a three-minute speech. I did it in 30 seconds. I thought that was good. I did it faster than everyone else. I thought it was a competition. <laughs> I remember my speech teacher coming to me. It's English. He said, this is an English core course. You can't graduate if I don't pass you. He said, I'm going to give you a D minus only because I don't want you to not graduate. But, but promise me you're never going to take up public speaking as a career. <laughs> True story. He said that. I said, absolutely not. Why would I do that? I hate public speaking. So go figure. What God does is he chooses the foolish things of the world that confound the wise, right? And so... So even John the Baptist, who prophesied, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he enters into the new season and doesn't recognize it. He already said yes, but whenever the yes comes, he can't say amen. He goes to his disciples, go ask, go ask him if he's the one that's to come or is there someone else? And so they go to Jesus and they find him preaching and teaching in the towns of Galilee. Everybody say Galilee. Galilee. So Jesus is in Galilee and John's disciples Sent, come all the way up to Galilee to see him. And they said, John wants to know, are you the one that he prophesied about who said he's the Lamb of God? If I were Jesus, I'd be like, go back and slap John upside the head. And then they say, well, he doesn't have one anymore. They chopped it off. And then, <laughs> oh, that was bad. No, sorry. Sorry, John. <laughs> it's actually good, but it was bad, but it was good. <laughs> which means... Which means if, if you prophesy a move of God that you can't recognize when you get into it, you may have to change your way of thinking. You have to chop off the old way of thinking and get a new way of thinking. Because you, you're, you're in prison, you get imprisoned and, you, and you're thinking and you think, this isn't, is, this, is this the revival or is there something else to come? Can I just tell you, there's something different in Durban. Is this revival or is revival going to come? Yes. <laughs> is, it, is it now or is it yet? Yes. This is, this is it. This is, you're in revival. I mean, you, it's, it's in the air. It's in your life. You can step into it now. You're in your new season. Stop saying, stop saying what to the old. Say goodbye to it and say amen to the new. It's here. 
So John the Baptist had a hard time saying amen. So he says, are you right? Can you tell me if I'm supposed to say amen? And Jesus said, here's what you go back and tell John. Tell him what you see and hear in Galilee. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Deaf are cured. The dead are raised. Good news is preached to the poor. Just go tell him that. He'll get the answer. Why? Because if it can happen in Galilee, it can happen anywhere. Tell him what you see and hear in Galilee. Tell him what you see and hear in Galilee. So Jesus in John 4, 44 had already pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. But then, when he returned back to Galilee, the Galileans celebrated him. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Let me tell you the backstory to this. Jesus didn't start out so good with him in Galilee. Right? Preaches his first sermon in Nazareth. Preach, pulls out a good scripture. Starts, you know, reading. All he does is read the scripture. Sits down and says, this prophecy is fulfilled in your ears today. He didn't really even comment on it. He just read the scripture and he got all mad. I mean, they, his first sermon, they take him out, try to throw him off a cliff. That's only slightly better than my first sermon. <laughs> and this, this is his start in, in Nazareth of Galilee. So he wasn't welcomed very well in Galilee. It was said, in your hometown, a prophet doesn't have any honor. But what did he do when he was rejected initially in his hometown? What did he do when Galilee rejected him? He didn't say, Kabul worthlessness. He didn't come into agreement with what the enemy tried to prophesy over God's inheritance. He didn't, because it looked barren, he didn't agree with the barrenness. What he did was he knew that he had a seed inside of him that could bring life to the full. That the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come for life to the full. And the Bible says Jesus left Galilee. And you see him track through the book of John before we read in John 4. Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he does the miraculous. And in Jerusalem, he meets a guy named Nicodemus who says, man, we know you've come from God. Everybody say, from God. He didn't say you come from Galilee. He didn't say you come from Nazareth. Because nothing good comes from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Galilee. He said, we know you come from God. Say, from God. Because of the miracles that you do. You see, the sign of what Jesus did proved who he was. He didn't do something to prove who he was. He just was something, and that proved who he was. See, he was rejected in Galilee, but that didn't make him a reject. So if you're rejected in Galilee, just go keep doing who you, be who you are somewhere else. Just keep being who you are. Don't, let, don't change who you are to make people accept you who can't see you. Because sometimes people can't see you because they're not destined to see you yet. If you reveal yourself too soon to people, they'll know you at an immature level. I talk to young people all the time. They're like, how do you grow a ministry? How do you grow a ministry? Grow yourself. Because if you don't grow yourself and people or leaders are introduced to you when you're at a low level, they'll know you at a low level. But grow yourself. Then when God reveals you to them, then they discover who you are. They'll know you as a mature son of God. Right? And so sometimes what happens is we try to reveal ourselves to people who aren't ready to discover us yet. See, they couldn't discover who Jesus was because they didn't have eyes to see. That didn't change who Jesus was, but he couldn't open their eyes. He just needed to be who he was. And so he goes to Jerusalem, does miracles, and now even the religious guy can see him. Like, we know you've come from God. He said, yep, and you can come from God too. You can be born again. You can be born from above. You can think like heaven, come from heaven, act like heaven, bring heaven to earth. And so Jesus leaves Jerusalem after all these miracles, and he comes to Samaria. Everybody say Samaria. A place where Jesus said, you know, to the disciples, I want you to go to all around 
uh, Israel, but don't go to the Samaritans. It's not their time yet. It was a group of people who people would bypass Samaria to go from Judah to Galilee. You would bypass Samaria. It was not a place you wanted to go through. It was worse than the hood or whatever place you try to avoid when it's dark at night. They just go through there. And Jesus in John 3 goes through Samaria. Not only that, he sits with a woman. The woman didn't have a good reputation. And all he's doing is getting a drink. In fact, John 3, I love it. It says, Jesus tired from the journey. Everybody say tired. See, Jesus wasn't worn out because of what people thought about him. He just got tired because he was doing what God told him to do. But that didn't keep him from keep being who he was. You can be who you are when you're tired. So Jesus was who he was in Galilee. They didn't receive him. They rejected him. Jesus came to Judea. He was who he was. And they thought some guys thought he was great, even though they were afraid to acknowledge him publicly. They just said, we like you privately, but don't tell anyone else that we're meeting with you right now. But show me how to do these miracles. Jesus was okay with that. He wasn't, well, you're my friend private, but you're not my friend public. I don't want to hang out with you. He just loved people and accepted them for who they were on the way to who he was becoming. And then he comes to Samaria, sits with this woman, just there for a glass of water. He's a little tired and thirsty, and oops, he starts a revival, which is so cool. You know what I mean? He has a three-day revival in a place where he said, don't bring revival there yet, which tells me that sometimes... We think we, we miss the season that we prophesy. We get into it and we don't recognize it. But sometimes, even out of season, God wants to do stuff if we just are who we are. Just, if you just are who you are, you can start stuff out of season. Because this is your time. So Jesus goes to Samaria, starts his revival. It's a great sermon if you just preach that part. And then he goes to Galilee in John 4. Now I'm going to read you the rest of the story. Now Jesus himself, John 4, 4, 4. Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Watch. Because they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem. When people reject you, just go be who you are somewhere else. And you keep being who you are long enough, in enough places, even the people closest to you. They may be the last to recognize who you are, but they'll welcome you. They'll celebrate you. And if they don't, Celebrate yourself. Celebrate who they are. Still love them anyway. So, so they saw him out of his context and they recognized who he was. Can I tell you what I, what I believe that that means? I believe that God takes us through sometimes a preparation process where sometimes we seem to be hidden. We're the same person in the same, we're the same person in the same place, but we look differently. But when there, when there comes a moment of time, a fullness of time, remember Jesus came to bring life, life to the Life to the full. Go to, go to Galatians 4.4 4 real quick. And I'm going to release something to you because I believe that some of you are living behind your time. Some of you are living behind your time. You're still dressing like the 80s and it's in 2015, 16. <laughs> Actually, the 80s is back. Well, the 90s is back. I don't think the 90s should come back. I did not like the 90s. Baggy khakis and big shoulder pads. Not into that. I'm just saying, what were we ever thinking? Like the 80s was cool. Well, parachute pants weren't so great, but I don't know if you had those here. Anyway, well, sorry, Michael Jackson. Anyway, right, Galatians, Galatians 4, um, 4. So you're going to read verses, four, first four verses. And I want to release something to you prophetically, and then we're going to start to just uh, minister to some people. <clears throat> Galatians 4. What I am saying is, is that as long as the heir is under age, he's no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, they are subject to guardians and trustees until the time set. Everybody say time set. 
the time set by his father. And so also when we were under age, we were under slavery, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time, everybody say set time, had fully come. Say fully come. God sent his son into the world, born of, a, born of a woman, born under the law. He's talking about Jesus, and he's also talking about a very deep spiritual concept about uh, spiritual freedom. But there, there's also a prophetic principle here that sometimes we are who we are, and we are in the right place, we're the right person, but people don't recognize for who we are. He's, what he's saying is as long as the heir is under age, he may live in the same place, but he's treated differently. But when he comes of age, when his time comes, when, when the fullness of time comes, Galatians 4.4, 4, when the fullness of time comes. I was, I was reading this one day with the Lord many, many years ago, and I was, I was just saying, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for some of these promises to come to pass. And I know you've said yes to it, but I want to see them come to pass. And, I, and I'm reading this, and it said, when the t- set time had fully come, God sent his son into the world. He said, Bob... Your time has come. You're gonna, you've recognized your sonship. Now I can send you into your inheritance. And I said, God, I believe it. But I, you know, and he said, here's the sign. Listen to this. He said, here's the sign. You're going to see the number 44 everywhere. It's going to drive you crazy. I'm like, okay, good. I'm ready. Drive me crazy. Cause I, 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 and I'm sitting there, literally sitting at my desk, reading my Bible. I write it in my journal. 44, my time has fully come. The fullness of time. So literally that next, that next week, I'm going on a flight. I was going, flying from just New York. I think it was down to somewhere south. I can't remember exactly where. Baltimore I flew into. So I, I, I flew into Baltimore. I get on the plane, and, and I look at my, as I sit down in my seat, I notice it's row 44. I'm like, hey, that's cool, 44, there it is. I get on my boarding pass, and it's actually flight 44. I'm on flight 44 in row 44. I'm like, Jesus, this is real. I heard God. I was more, I was more excited that I actually heard God that it was actually my time because I still don't know what the fullness of time means. I'm just like, oh, I'm not crazy. I got seeing numbers and I know what they mean. That's even better. Like, I see this number. What does it mean? I don't know, but I see it all the time. Anybody have that problem? So, so, so I, I, I'm on this plane. I get, I arrive on the on the flight. The pastor picks me up and he drives me. And I notice that we get off the exit. We get off exit 44. And I'm not saying nothing to him because I. I don't want this guy to think I'm nuts, but I'm, I'm like, I'm so excited. I'm ready to like jump out of my skin and prophesy to myself, right? <laughs> so we get to the hotel and we pull up to the hotel. He goes, just a minute, stay here. I'll go check in and we'll come back and get your bag. He, he opens it, he slams it. I look at the clock. It's 444 on the clock. I'm like starting to sweat. Like, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? And so I go up to my room and I'm just thanking the Lord. I'm going to meet with the leaders in a little bit and I'm just getting ready for that and thanking the Lord that maybe this is a message for them and and, and I get a phone call. Oh, this is so cool. Oh, my gosh. This has to do with South Africa. So this guy calls me. And the front desk goes, you have a friend down here. And his name's Joel Hitchcock. Does that name ring a bell to anybody? He's a South African evangelist. He lives in, lives, in lives in the U.S. I had met him at a meeting like a year before. He knew I was in town. He shows up in my hotel, unannounced. Just calls my room. They say, come down to the lobby. And he talks in his cool South African accent, which I can't do. But, but it's proper. <laughs> he talked in a proper accent. And so he said, Bob, I was praying for you this morning. Oh, God sent me someone from South Africa to give me this word. That's, that's meaningful to me. Because now I'm in South Africa giving you this word. He who refreshes others gets himself refreshed. Seriously, like, 
like, I was calling an audible. It was like a Hail Mary. And I was like, I don't know if you guys can catch this or not. I might even know if I'm throwing it the right direction. And I just, I just completed the pass. I just feel like I could, like, this is God's play for us tonight. Like, we're there. Sorry, it's football. It's not rugby. Anyway, you'll get it. It's a scrum. Get in it. <laughs> I feel like it's coming. And so he goes, I was praying for you this morning. And he said, I saw a vision of you. And I'm getting all excited. And he said, and you were holding, God put a gun in your hand. I'm like, whoa, really? And he said, and I have no idea what it means. He said, but it was a Magnum 44. And I knew immediately what it meant. God was not just bringing me to a fullness of time, but he was putting a spiritual weapon in my hand that I could shoot you into your fullness of time. I could shoot you. I'm loaded for, I'm loaded for game. I'm game hunting. Now, I could never preach this sermon in Connecticut because we're anti-gun. But I know you guys are all right, okay? So, <laughs> so like, this is, this is so cool for me because everything shifted in that moment for us. It was a fullness of time where God didn't just give us a promise. He gave us an inheritance, right? You know you're getting this, George, right? This is it. You're not, a, you're not, just, an, you're, you're not just an heir. You're a son. You know what I mean? You're not under trustee and guardianship anymore. And this is, I think what, what, what this means to harvest is very specific, but what it means to the region also applies, right? So I'm, there's a lot going out here. There's a lot of bullets flying. So just say, Jesus, let's put a big target right on you. Like, this is me, man. I want this. Or maybe some of you need it on your head. John the Baptist, right? So, so I want this, right? Because when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Everybody say, son. Now, I'm not, I can't go into this whole teaching here, but this word son's different than other sons. It's not little son or immature son. This is full-grown son. This is maturity. God's bringing his son, his church to maturity, and there's a fullness of time that God is bringing into your life. And can I tell you, something is different in Durban. They're not, we're not just children anymore. We're mature sons and daughters of God. We're not, we don't just have a promise. We are stepping into an inheritance. We are not being attacked. We are advancing. We are not in spiritual warfare. We're getting new spiritual weapons. See, we're changing our perspective because we're changing our proclamation because it's our time. The fullness of time had come. God sent his son into the world. And can I tell you something? Many of you are reaching a fullness of time in your life right now. Things you've waited for for a long time are going to happen quickly. Why? Because it's time for it to happen. It's time for it to happen. He's just he's already said yes, and he's waiting for you to say the amen. And when you say amen, you put a big target on your destiny. You put a big target, and God's like, I got some angels. They are loaded for game today. Like, there's literally angels that are ready to shoot you into your destiny. I'm sorry for that metaphorical picture, but I'm not, because I literally do believe there's some impetus, there's spiritual impetus in this place right now. Kim, can you just come to the, to the keyboard right now? And I just feel like we're just supposed to release this fullness of time and this inheritance and also break off a mentality that places that you were dishonored in the last season, that you're stepping into again and you're going to receive honor. You've heard it said of prophets without honor in Galilee. But I tell you, when I come back to Galilee, people are going to rejoice over me. Can I tell you? You need to change your mindset. Don't say three more months and then the harvest, four more months and then the harvest. I tell you, now is the time for the harvest. The fields are ripe now for the harvest. Jesus came to flip everything on its head. Even the first miracle he did. Look at the first miracle he did. Everybody saves the best wine. They give it, they give it out when everybody's not drunk. But everybody, they bring the cheap wine at the end. But Jesus saved the best wine for... Now, it's actually not last. It's now. When's the best wine available? 
now. So you put your cup up. That's wine. Jesus didn't just make it last. He made it now. That's what the guy said. You, everybody puts the best wine first, but you gave the best wine now. I'm telling you, the first outpouring in this region, it was good. But where's the best outpouring? It's not the next one. It's the now one. What generation is God going to move in? Not the next one. The now one. <laughs> oh, there's going to be a generation that seeks. It's a now generation. What generation can ascend the hill of the Lord? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. The generation that seeks his face, that's the generation that's going to be, be able to say to the cities, to the gates of Africa, to Durban, lift up your head, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors. What generation is that? It's a now generation. It's a generation that seeks his face. As soon as you start to seek his face, you become the now generation. As soon as you lift up your glass, you get the now wine. As soon as you lift up your eyes, what did he say? Lift up your eyes. When do you know the harvest is now? When you lift up your eyes. If you don't lift up your eyes, you don't get the harvest. Why? The difference isn't that the harvest isn't now. The difference is your perspective. It's all the perspective. Everything is perspective. I'm not saying there's not set times and there's not set seasons. And that we, but sometimes what we do is we prophesy seasons to keep us from our disappointment. Well, it's just not my season yet. That keeps me from disappointment. It gives me an excuse not to fight the good fight of faith. It gives me an excuse to say I'm under attack instead of saying I'm advancing. I'm not here to correct you. I'm here to give you a shift of perspective. I'm here to get you the, 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 the sight on your gun so you can see the target clearly. Because God's put something in you that says now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 49, he just was complaining to the Lord. God, you, told, you put your words in my mouth. You made me a sharpened arrow. You hit me in your quiver. What, what's going on, God? Why would you sharpen me? Polish me and put me away. I'm wasting away. But I know in the time of your favor, you'll answer me. In the day of your salvation, you will help me. You'll make me to be a covenant for the people. You gave me the weapon, the arrow, the words to restore the land, to reassign inheritance, to say that the captives come out. Someday it'll happen. Everybody say someday. In the time of your favor, in the day of your salvation, it'll happen. And then Paul comes along, 2 Corinthians 6. You've heard it said, in the time of my favor, I will answer you. You've heard it said, in the day of salvation, I will help you. I tell you, now is the time of your favor. Today is the day of your salvation. The stuff you wanted to see happen in other places is going to happen here. There's been a three-year delay over some of your promises. And God's saying, I'm making up for lost time. Not another three years and then the harvest. Now is the harvest. Now is the time. Now is the time.